He says, here's a camera. You see that helicopter? I said, yeah. He says, I want you to get on the helicopter. Take some pictures. I said, uh, take pictures of what? He says, <laughs> of the war. <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Only an American. This podcast is designed for intermediate and advanced English learners who want to improve their comprehension and vocabulary through natural conversations utilizing American English. Check out the first episode if you'd like to know how I personally use podcasts to learn languages. Today, we're going to be interviewing a friend of our father's. His name is Boogie. He's a Vietnam veteran, husband, father, um, and much more all around great guy. Um, a little side note, the audio in this episode is not perfect. There is some background noise heard throughout, but we didn't want to pass up the opportunity to speak with Boogie despite the subprime conditions. So with that said, let's get into it. He's, he's, my, more, he's more my friend than he is dad's. Let's just yeah. put that out there really fast. He really doesn't like dad very much. He hangs out because I'm around. Yeah, that's yeah. too straight X for him. Yeah. Your, your dad scares me. Yeah. Yeah, not not because I think he's tough. Uh, just he's weird. Yeah. <laughs> just sets you off a little uneasy. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay, so we, well, we were just we were just talking um, a little bit ago and. Alex said something about you being from Africa, which I did not know at all. Did you grow up there? No. Well, let's let's set that straight. Uh, I was born in Maine, and my father flew uh, P-47s during World War II. And when he got out, he moved to New Hampshire, and we lived there for a while, and he was selling insurances, and he was miserable. And the best thing that ever happened to him was Korea. So he went back into uh, the Air Force at that time. And uh, he flew from that time on. Uh, also, he was in uh, intelligence. He did a lot of intelligence work. But one of the stations was in Africa, in Morocco, uh, at City Slamane Air Force Base. And it was a SAC Air Force Base. So... Uh, uh, we spent uh, a little over two years there. How old, how old were you? Uh, well, I got back in, uh, I had to have been around eight to 10 to 12, you know, right in that area. Yeah. So was that to you coming from Maine and kind of growing up in the <laughs> States and then at around 10 years old, you go to Morocco? <laughs> kind of culture shock was that? It, it was, uh, it was in a way, but you know, I was so young and uh, everything was so new and weird and smelly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was an adventure, and uh, I did most of that. You know. We used to go down to the Casbah uh, downtown and look around. Well, and back then, back then, what year was this? That was in the early 50s. And that's when, like, the Casbah was the Casbah. You know, like, that's when, like, all the famous writers were hanging out down there and all the, like, when that's where it became famous. That's it. And my folks are both, well, I'm French. My folks are both French. And they spoke uh, fluent French. So, uh, you know, they were very comfortable in that area. 
and my father used to fly to France and uh, England and Italy. And, uh, so it, yeah. It, so did you grow, did you grow up in a French speaking house? Was that like a primary language for we you guys? We were at we were when we were younger. My sister and I, when we ended up, we went from uh, Maine to New Hampshire to Kansas. Not a big, (laughs) such a a diverse like (laughs) range of like childhood. Not a whole lot of French speakers in Kansas. Not not a whole lot of French speaking people, and we went to Catholic school. And I remember the nuns; they'd get on our ass when we'd speak French to each other. Like you were hiding something from them. And, Which you probably yeah, were. Let's yeah, be honest, yeah. Buggy, you were well, probably we were trying to figure out what the hell they were all doing, you know, and because we went to French schools, and then all of a sudden we're in an American-speaking school, and uh, I couldn't, uh, I didn't speak enough uh, English uh, to be able to graduate up to the next level, so I uh, ended up being uh, held back one year. And that's when my parents stopped talking to us in French. Oh, wow. So yeah. because you were having trouble in school with yeah. English, they they oh, yeah. strictly spoke English. Did you keep up with your French at all? No. No? No. Like I said, Kansas was. <laughs> well, that must have been really hard to make friends. You're this like French kid from Morocco going to Kansas. You probably weren't well liked. <laughs> well, we went from Kansas to Morocco. And then my father wanted to get out of SAC Air Force Base. So uh, they gave him a choice, either Hawaii on a SAC Air Force Base or teach at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana. So he was like a cadet uh, cadre type position? Yeah, he was uh, he was ROTC. Okay. And he taught uh, he taught uh, uh, aeronautics. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, you were showing me pictures earlier of he was a pilot, obviously. Yeah, he was a pilot. And so, so why, why the army for you? Why didn't you? That's my my father wanted to know. (laughs) (laughs) I was a big disappointment to him. (laughs) He was probably just more worried. (laughs) He said, "He said, you know, son, the reason I went into the Air Corps." is because I knew after I got finished flying somewhere and doing my job, I'd come back and I'd have a tent, I'd have a bunk, I'd have a hot meal, and I'd have a shower. And if it rained, I didn't have to fly. (laughs) So he said, why do you want to go in a, get into a foxhole? Uh, I said, well, I want to make it a career, and I'm not officer material. So, <laughs> so, yeah, the Army is good rank, you know. And, well, uh, and you'll get a, yeah. a kick out of this nowadays, and it might have been that this way right. back in your day, but nowadays if the Air Force have to come and stay on an Army base, and they have to live in Army barracks, they get paid an additional pay, which is called substandard living pay. Because they have to live in our barracks. <laughs> That's real. And then if you're st- if you're at Chow, if you're at, if you're yeah. you're in the DFAC, and uh, 
there's some airmen sitting yeah. there, you'll laugh because they'll all just get up and leave their trays. <laughs> and it's because, and they're chow halls, yeah, that's what you yeah, do. And somebody yeah. comes and cleans up yeah. after them like they're at a restaurant. And all the army guys are like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Pick up after yourself. <laughs> well, it's actually recommended to bring your own food to the chow yeah. hall. <laughs> yeah, to the <laughs> fat <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly. There were a couple of times when I was able to go, of course, Growing up in the Air Force, uh, I knew their food was better. and uh, But when I was in the Army, especially in Vietnam, uh, being a combat photographer, I'd go over there and I'd pretend like I'd be taking their pictures for hometown news release. And these Air Force guy cooks would just fix me up a steak and anything I wanted, you know. And then I'd leave and don't come back to that one until about six months later. <laughs> so you you covered a lot right there, a lot of openings, but we're get, we're gonna go we're gonna back up because I don't want to miss a bunch of stuff. I want to know at what point in you know leaving high school. What was the determining factor for you? Why did you join the army? Why did you decide to go to Vietnam? Was it because you knew you were, were you a draftee or were you a volunteer? No, no I volunteered. I volunteered. Was it I, before the war started or was the war going? I, no, the war was going. I graduated in 64. Okay. The war was going, although it was, uh, it wasn't as large as it was later on. So you knew yeah. signing up that there was a really good chance Tell that you, you were going to end no. up. Really? No. Okay. Uh, what I went into, uh, I went to basic at Fort Knox. And then from there, I went to uh, uh, Monmouth. And uh, uh, I went to school there. Then I took a troop ship to Bremerhaven, Germany, and down to K-Town, Kaiserslautern. Yeah, been there. And yeah, there you go. And uh, anyhow, uh, one day I was just reading the uh, Stars and Stripes, and I heard about this little dirty war in Vietnam, and I thought, you know, that's that's going to be good on my resume, <laughs> on my jacket, you know, that I was in war. So I volunteered, and within a week I was gone. And, and over there so wow yeah super fast um so at that time what was your job what was your mos when you first came in oh <laughs> i can't remember the mos but i was a uh, lab photo lab technician okay and uh when i got to vietnam i got i uh, was at benoit and i went down to uh, uh uh, Tan Snood Air Force Base. And How do you remember the names of all this stuff? I can't. Yeah. I People ask me, they're like, what unit were you in? And I'm like, I don't know. That's impressive. I was in a unit. It's like, stop questioning me, asshole. Like, <laughs> seriously, people ask me, like, what unit were you in? And I'm like, I don't know. It was like some engineer battalion. I don't know, dude. Valor. I was there. Don't worry about it. Stolen Valor, Alex. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if I was ever questioned and people were being serious, they would probably think, like, Stolen Valor. And I'm just like, 
I don't know, but you got a great memory. You're like talking about this stuff happened 60 years ago, dude. Yeah, that's wild. So uh, anyhow, I uh, I was with uh, Mac V at that time. Wow. And uh, I went in. We had a platoon, and the platoon had 125 men, 130 men. And we had a major in charge of the platoon. And... Uh, so I, one day I walked into the old man's office. He says, here's a camera. You see that helicopter? I said, yeah. He says, I want you to get on the helicopter. Take some pictures. I said, uh, take pictures of what? He says, <laughs> of the war. <laughs> I said, no, they're shooting at people over there. <laughs> I don't want to go over there. I'm a photographer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyhow, that was my job for the rest of the time that I was there. You know. <laughs> so you were attached to Mac, like back up. You were attached to Mac V Sog, and you were taking yeah, pictures. Yeah, not Mac V, not oh, okay. Mac V Sog. Okay. That was uh, totally different. It's like a lot of your uh, special forces at one time were at, under Mac V. Right. So, yeah. so can you explain to me? Because I don't think I've ever heard that term, Mac V. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I can't remember what it is now. <laughs> That's all right. Your memory served you well and everything else. Yeah, I was about to say, like, if you would ask me, I wouldn't have known either. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I, you know, that frustrates me because I knew it. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, it, it was the main, uh, main group that was over there. They were, uh, Oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, General uh, Westmoreland. He was uh, in charge of MACV, and that covered all of Vietnam. Okay. So as a photographer, were yeah. you typically embedded with units that were like frontline type units? Yes, yes. Yeah. So what was, yeah. what was, what that, was that like? like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'd be going somewhere. And I'd look out and I'd find the biggest guy there and I'd attach my butt to him. <laughs> <laughs> and with the idea that if anybody saw them, saw us, they'd see him first. <laughs> <laughs> Pays to be short. Yeah, if anybody ever called you dumb, Boogie, they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Boogie, what? So when you got on that helicopter, was that the first mission you were going out on? Did you go out on a mission or did you go to like a camp? What happened? No, no. We, uh, I went out on a mission. Uh, we, uh, uh, <laughs> we, uh, well, I got on the helicopter and I didn't know what to expect. And when I got to the area, it was a hot LZ. And everybody's jumping out of there, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, crap, what the hell did I sign up for? And I jumped out, and I just started following guys around, taking pictures the whole time I was out there. And, uh, yeah. How long would you normally stay out with the unit? Uh, well, it, it, there were, it varied a lot. Like, sometimes I'd be out for a day, two days. Sometimes I'd be out for a week. 
I was mainly down in the Delta Four Core. And at that time that I got there, uh, they were letting us stay out for two, three weeks at a time. The only problem is that your feet would start to uh, uh, swell and uh, peel and everything because oh, you, were man, in, I couldn't you imagine. were in the water yeah. all that time. You're just yeah. rot. You're literally rotting, rotting alive. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so after that, they uh, would limit us to uh, about five to seven days at a time. Get you to go dry out. I I literally had boots that would fall apart after a while. You know they just yeah. And I would assume it's it's raining on you ninety percent of the time. The weather's garbage, or it's just hot and humid, or you know it's a good thing that uh, I think about a lot of that stuff now because we'd get into rivers and you'd cross these rivers and. You never knew what was in the river. <laughs> that would definitely be freaky. <laughs> and I never thought about it. But, you know, then you'd get to the other side and you'd pull your pant leg up and you'd have uh, 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 those black things. Leeches. Leeches. You'd have leeches. Oh, man. Yeah. <sighs> and you'd burn them off and go on your way. But, yeah, it just... Uh, I've got a buddy of mine. He uh, he got bit bit by something that looked like a, a a roach or something, and his whole hand swelled up. <laughs> Never did find out what it was. Wow! It was all kinds of crap. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but. Did, uh, I had heard, I don't know if my dad told me this or not, but I had heard that you had done some tunnel rat type stuff. Yes, yes. Was that because of your size? You got... <laughs> you got... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, they uh, uh, they needed a, a, a photographer to go in, take some pictures, and uh, the, the, uh, the tunnel rat would go in ahead of me, and I'd go in after him. And... Uh, yeah, he was he was the lead. He was the guy that was going to get all the shit if anything happened. But it was still scary as hell. Oh know? my god! Yeah, I yeah. couldn't imagine. Yeah. So, and I'd get in, and I I took pictures of uh, an area that had a whole hospital in it. So, uh, so a lot of the listeners right now yeah. probably don't know what a tunnel rat is. Or what those conditions were like. Yeah. So can you kind of like break it down dummy style and explain yeah. what, why there were tunnels, what you guys were doing in the tunnels and what they looked like? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Vietnamese, before Vietnam, Vietnamese, uh, uh, the Viet Cong, it was called the Viet Minh. And they actually dug a lot of the tunnels that the Viet Cong uh, decided to go on and uh, they did a lot of uh, work uh, they did a lot of the work and they would transport material and uh, transport people uh, from one place to another and there were 
they built, I think it was the 25th, uh, yeah, I think it was the Lightning, uh, the 25th Infantry, built their camp right on top of Coochie, which was one of the areas that had tunnels all over it. <laughs> so they were literally, the enemy was running, running underneath uh, them. Underneath them, yes. Wow. So can yeah. you describe what these tunnels look like? Because I think a lot of pe- a lot of yeah. listeners are probably imagining or, or picturing this big improved tunnel that's like <laughs> well engineered. <laughs> well, they were well engineered, but you would have a uh, you'd have a hole in the ground and it would be covered. You'd find that hole. You'd oh, well, you learned real quick. You didn't step down because a lot of times they had a booby trap right under there. So you, they, you'd go in head first and into the tunnel. Well, as you're going through the tunnel, they would hang uh, these bamboo stakes up here and put a, uh, uh, an adder or a snake in there. And uh, once you walk, once you crawled, over it and a lot of those things were only big enough for you to crawl through and you'd you'd uh, hit it it would wake the snake up and it would bite you in the neck oh, uh, oh my god <laughs> the, the amount of claustrophobia i'm feeling right now and i i hate snakes that's i would rather fight a bear than deal with a snake so for me to imagine crawling headfirst mm-hmm. into a tunnel, and you got to do it headfirst because it, you know it's booby trapped. Right. So they're like, "Oh no, no, don't go feet first. Go headfirst. It's booby trapped." <laughs> oh. I'm like, "Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me." First of all, and then on top of that, the odds are good that a snake might fall on you. Yeah. So how hey. wide? How wide are these tunnels? You know what? I, I would say, uh, what is that? You know, probably about three, four foot wide and maybe about the same height you know, for the entrance. There were some tunnels I was actually almost able to stand straight up in. But And when uh, he says uh, that, Boogie's not very tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five foot three and that's stretching. <laughs> and uh, well, usually you'd also fight to, you'd fire into the tunnel and uh, you'd fire into the tunnel because a lot of times they would have a fake wall and there'd be somebody on the other side with a spear or something. And if you got too close, then they'd spear you. And usually the tips of these spears or the, uh, the punji sticks and everything had human excrement on it so so even if they don't kill you you're getting an infection that could kill you yeah and then they'd have another another uh uh, could you imagine being the guy that has to sit there with a shit stick though (laughs) 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 they're like and i I can't think of a stereotypical vietnamese name so I, i i don't know what the guy's name is but they're like hey you you're gonna stand behind this fake wall with a poop stick. Stay there until the enemy comes. I don't That's want that job either. Sure. I want that job as bad as I want the tunnel rat job. Yeah. <laughs> then they would have another trap door, and you get in that, and then it was like a trap under your sink. And because a lot of times you'd try to, uh, you try to, uh, you know, uh, flood them out. 
well, of course, the trap would be there and smoke. Same thing with smoke. You know, it, it would go inside and uh, it, it would, would level out. And yeah. that's as far as it would go. Then you get on the other side. And, of course, then you have to worry about somebody at the other end uh, firing at you. But uh, I was lucky. Uh, I never ran into that. And I was probably... Um, I don't want to, you know, it's probably in five or six tunnels. And, you know, that was enough for me. Yeah, that's like five or six more than I would <laughs> want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so you were showing me a little bit earlier, you were showing me on my phone or your phone that you've got these photo albums. Yeah. Um, Photos that you've you've kept over the years, mm -hmm. photos that you've taken, which are extremely interesting, and I really want to sit down with you and okay. flip through these photos. Um, but ones that really interested me were photos that you were showing of a Vietnamese soldier. Yeah, can you tell me about that? How'd you yeah. get them, um, okay. and what the pictures were? Yeah, uh, actually, I was. We were we were going down a trail. And, the, and, you know, you learn, don't go down the trail, you know, get off the trail. But at that time, it was 65, and we were still learning our way into this jungle stuff. So uh, I was behind, and I, I stopped to clean my camera, and this trap door opened up, and the guy uh, popped up with a... Uh, uh, SKS and uh, he was starting to take aim I dropped my camera pulled my 45 out and I must uh, I'm, I used the whole clip <laughs> if that had been an automatic it would have just gone right there you know? uh, and you know but uh, when I got up to him and looked around he had all these pictures of him and I gather it was him and his family. And I, I've, I, you know, I took it as a souvenir. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that does bother me. You know, I'd like to someday get those back to the people who belong to. What, what, what about it bothered you? Cause see when, when you were telling me about it and when you, um, when you just told the story about it, right. I, I thought about it in a different way other than like a war souvenir. Mm -hmm. I thought about it more of like a personal connection with that person, with that person. Yeah. I mean, that took, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. in war so often soldiers can see the enemy right. as just that they're not yeah. a person. They're just the enemy. Yeah. And Vietnam was, I mean, we, we got it in the Iraq and I have, have war or Afghanistan war as mm -hmm. well, where, their cultures are so different. Yeah, yeah. And in Vietnam, I know it was the same where guys just didn't see the Vietnamese as people. They just saw them as the enemy and they had to kill them. They, uh, they were, uh, well, you, you, you uh, degraded them. You called them gooks. You called them slant eyes. Uh, uh, you know, you did a lot of that because. You found ways you, to dehumanize them. Right, because you don't want to kill a human. Yeah, uh, so, it made it a lot yeah. easier to think of them as yeah. a gook rather than right. just a person. That's right. And to me, when you started showing me those pictures, that enemy became a person because the, right. the photos were of him like 
in a suit trying to look nice or uh, with, you know, I'm assuming his wife or, you know, sister or girlfriend or whoever it was. And it was like, this was a a person that had a life before the war and, and, you know, probably had aspirations and, you know, wanted to do different things. And that's how I saw it. When you, when you took those pictures and you kept them rather than letting them rot or be buried on the battlefield, you kept that person alive in a way. Yeah. You, you, you made him a person that has lasted all the way to the point where we're talking about him now in the podcast, right? right? He's now made it to 2022 Mm -hmm. and you know, his, I guess, essence is still around. So when you say it bothers you Mm -hmm. and I can't, I I mean, I'm not going to speak on it or tell you how to feel, but to me, it, it, it feels more like you were there to do a job and it was Mm -hmm. kill or be killed. Right you won and now you still have this memory of this person right. to remind you that these were people. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can think about it in another light. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, is now I'm getting to that age where, um, I would like to return them yeah. to the, uh, to their family to let them know, you know, because a lot of these guys, they got killed, they got buried. They were forgotten. Yeah, yeah. completely. And I, right. especially on their side of the war. I mean, right. yeah. there were so many of them. So many were killed and yeah. and just nobody ever knows what happened to that's, them. That's we, you know, it. we have our own tomb of the unknown. Right. And yeah. we take a lot of pride and effort into yeah. retaining bodies and notifying families. And if sure. we have them, they definitely had them. Yeah. Um, do the photos have any writing or any information yeah, on them? They do have writings on the back, and I've tried to get uh, some of the little gals at the at the uh, uh, nail place because I knew some of them, and they said, "No, no, Viet Cong, Viet Cong, no, no." They didn't want anything uh, to do with it, huh? Anything to do with it? Wow, number ten, Viet Cong. You know, uh, I wonder so. if we could find any listeners through this podcast that might be able to help with it. Yeah. That would be yeah. willing to, yeah. to look at them and try to help you. Yeah. Cause that would be, that would be very cool. I mean, um, mm-hmm. to be able to like kind of fulfill that for you. Right. Right. Uh, and maybe bring some closure to, to the family members. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Crazy. I couldn't even imagine like what yeah. it, it, your guys's war was. Weird. Yeah was a very, very difficult war. I mean, especially for when you think about uh, Vietnam was basically <coughs> modern era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and on that subject, uh, when I got there, I was still using the M14. I went through basic with the M1. I even got an M1 thumb. And what is an M1, M1 thumb? Well, when you, when you pulled back the uh, bolt, on an M1, it locks. Mm-hmm. The only way to release it is put your thumb inside and push down and pull your hand out, your thumb out. Before the quick, bolt closes. Before the bolt closes. So yeah. you had a bolt and slam on your thumb. I've had a bolt slam on my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a purple heart for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I made one up. It's a purple one. It's a purple patch with an M1. <laughs> but when true. I got to Vietnam, we were still using the M14. 
And, uh, <laughs> uh, and of course, it was too big for me to go out in the field with, so I just carried an M, uh, a, uh, M1 uh, 1911. And, uh, but I, I saw so much new stuff as we were going along. Uh, one of the things uh, I remember towards the end of the war, all we had was Hueys. We didn't have any of the uh, new patches and helicopters, yeah. And well, one one day I go out in the field, and uh, you know, there's something odd about the helicopter, but it's still a Huey. And all of a sudden, it just opens up, and I look over and I see, I see these barrels going around and around and around. And all this brass just, you know, flying out into space. And and it was, I was like, what the hell was that? Yeah, the guy said, oh, yeah, that's that new minigun, you know. I said, holy crap. You know, so that was one of the things. And then uh, another one that was uh, new, and it was later on when I was really getting ready to leave, uh, the flechettes. Flechettes. Uh, I haven't heard of that. What is that? Okay. Those are mean. It, it's about an inch long and it's got a little arrow. It's like, it's shaped like a little arrow. Mm-hmm. And you put a ton of those in an M55. Uh, 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 M55? What is it? 155. Okay. 105. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, it's inside a shell and you put it in the barrel, you fire it. It goes out, the, the uh, shell around it uh, opens up, and all these little arrows just oh my spread. Gosh. It's like yeah. a freaking shotgun. Yeah, it's like a massive yeah. shotgun. I cool. saw a body one time got hit with one of, with I don't know how many. He was, he was pretty dead, but all you saw was little, little red spots. All over his body all where they just ripped through him. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! They also used so, to dip those in uh, an anticoagulant, so the blood would not clot. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. bleed to death. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. So before we, because the, your life wasn't just Vietnam. So no, no, and before no. before we move past mm-hmm. Vietnam, which I do want to do, right? But I just want to see if you could give us one. One story, one of your most memorable stories of that time of your life. In Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was, this is hard, it still gets to me today. But there was a uh, Viet Cong lady. They called her the Apache woman. And she would catch these guys out and she would torture them. And she surround a, a, a military post, an outpost, and you'd be completely cut off from them. It's dark. All you hear is the screams from this kid as they're torturing him. And the next day, they cut his dick off and through, you know, and let him run. Well, of course, he never. They never made it. Uh, I had to go out and take pictures of a couple of those that 
had been tortured by her. And uh, uh, I never found the brain. They cut open the head, never found the brain. Uh, They uh, pulled the eyes out, uh, cut the nose off, pulled all the teeth, the fingernails. Uh, They tied him down with bamboo through his legs and his arms. And uh, anyhow, I had to go take pictures of that. And I never did learn the kid's name. And it, that, that, that stands out so much uh, than more than anything else over there because it was so horrendous to me you know, wow. that somebody would do that. Now, uh, a Marine by the name of Hathcock, I think was his name. He finally, he he knew she used this one trail and he set himself up there for days at a time. And finally one day these Vietnamese come around and she squats to go to the bathroom and she pulls her, the conical hat that they had and she pulls that off and he shoots her right between the eyes. And wow. That was the end of that, you know. But uh, I couldn't even. I yeah. for for the listeners. This, if you don't respect the generations that came before you, and all you see is you know an old man that's probably broken up, doesn't walk well, doesn't you know is later in his years, longer in the tooth. These are the things that that generation went through. You know, I'm a firm believer of everybody has a story. And if you're a good enough listener and you ask the right questions to someone, everyone is interesting and everybody can tell you something. There are so many guys in that walk among us every day that have stories like this and went through things just like this. And so next time you want to be disrespectful to your elders or disrespectful to a veteran, just remember they very well might've gone through something similar to this, where this was their friend or they, you know, in Boogie's case had to go and take pictures of these people. Just a just a reminder, just a, a thought, you know, one of those things where everybody is due respect kind of deal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Hey guys, thanks for listening. That is all for today. We broke this episode into two separate ones because we know it is a lot of content to go through and digest as a language learner. Next week will be the second half of this conversation where we talk about Boogie's return back to the States and his life after Vietnam. Uh, Please check the link in the description down below for a free, complete transcript of the episode. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.